Hey, what's up, everybody, and thank you for hitting the play button on the Derek Diamond Experience. This week, you'll be hearing my conversation with my friend and fellow podcaster, Mr. Jeremy Branch. But first, I want to tell you about a fantastic new album from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. It's called Murder Mystery Night and features 10 original tracks, including their new single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which happens to be the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. Murder Mystery Night is currently available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And if you're interested in booking them for shows, like them on Facebook, just search for The Unicorn Wranglers. And don't forget to follow them on both Twitter and Instagram, and those handles are at Wranglers. That's at U-W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek. Diamond, diamond, diamond. Experience! Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of June 15th, 2015. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. It's been a very relaxing last few days for yours truly. I've gotten to enjoy the rarity that is the four-day weekend. We wrapped up another homestand this past Wednesday, and due to hours and with it being a little more stressful than usual... I got to enjoy a four-day weekend, and I took full advantage of it, rested up for a few days, did some cleaning and some organizing around the apartment, got to spend a lot of time with my illustrious girlfriend, Margo. We had a fantastic weekend. On Saturday, we did some shopping, and we went to go see a movie, which I'm going to review here in just a second. And today, I'm recording this open on Sunday evening around 7.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. I took Margo to visit some of my family back in Jay, had a nice lunch, and it's just been a very chill, relaxing weekend, which has been needed for quite some time. But as far as news goes, there's some unfortunate news to report. We've had a couple of deaths in the world of entertainment and pop culture, the first being in the world of movies. I'm sure you've already heard by now, but Christopher Lee, who... Most modern audiences know him as playing Count Dooku in the Star Wars prequels and Sauron from Lord of the Rings. But he's also known for playing Dracula and even doing some heavy metal music, which I didn't even know about until I read his biography. But he passed away last weekend at the age of 93. And what's crazy is he actually passed away over the weekend, but it wasn't revealed until this past Thursday because his wife wanted the friends and family, or immediate friends and family, to know first before she made his death public, which is kind of unheard of in today's age of information. When something happens, it come, we know about it in seconds. But the second one came from the world of pro wrestling, and those who grew up watching wrestling in the 70s and 80s will know the name of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And he was known for not exactly having the traditional wrestler's physique. He was a bigger guy, I'm not going to lie. But when it came to interviews and talking people into the building, there were very few that were better. And he is, to me, one of the top five best talkers in wrestling history with his lisp and just his play on words, his rhymes, and just his stories. I mean, the reason why they call him the American Dream is because he personified the everyday man, the common man. And he was mostly known for his feud with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen because he was the common guy against the elite, upper-crust, suit-wearing, snobby people. So people could relate to Dusty Rhodes, and that's why he was so popular. And he even became a wrestling writer uh, in the 90s, and he came up with what's now known as the Dusty Finish. And for those that watch wrestling, that's when the referee gets knocked out by one of the wrestlers, whether it be by accident or on purpose. He passed away from natural causes this past week at the age of 69 years old, and I imagine there will be a lot of outpouring in the wrestling community, especially when Money in the Bank starts, which is tonight, and Monday Night Raw. There's been a lot of outpouring on social media about it, because he is a legend, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's one of the most famous wrestlers of all time. So, rest in peace to both Christopher Lee and Dusty Rhodes. 
And in closing, before we get to our guest this week, I did want to review the movie that Margot and myself saw, and that movie is killing it at the box office right now, and that is Jurassic World. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe I read that it made over $500 million worldwide already, which is insane. But I would highly recommend this movie. I was a little skeptical about it at first when I heard about it because... The first Jurassic Park is a classic. It was made in the early 90s, but the effects still hold up to this day, and it's actually a really good story. The sequels were not so great, in my opinion. I didn't care for either one of them. So when it was announced that they were doing another Jurassic Park, I was kind of skeptical about it because I'm not really that big on sequels unless I really, really like the first one. And the sequels to this series obviously didn't do so great. But when I found out what they were doing with it and saw the trailer for it, I was like, I could get behind this because it's a sequel, but it's also kind of a reboot in its own way. And this movie delivered to me in every way. The effects were amazing. The new dinosaur, the Indominus Rex, was cool looking. It was evil. It was fierce. There was a lot of violence, which was very surprising. So if you want to take your kids to it, exercise caution with that, which... I wouldn't recommend taking a small child to it because just the sight of dinosaurs is going to scare them, I think. Or at least it did me back in the day, so I'm speaking from personal experience. Chris Pratt was great. The fact that Chris Pratt got to control velociraptors was freaking amazing. And I'm not going to lie, this might be a little bold when I say this, but this has been the movie I've enjoyed the most this summer. I've enjoyed it more than Mad Max. I enjoyed it more than Avengers. It was just, to me, it personifies what a summer movie should be. It's got good story. It's got good characters. The action's great. The effects are phenomenal. You've got to go see Jurassic World. I've heard nothing but great things about it from everyone that has seen it. So definitely go check it out. As I said, it's the best movie of the summer. And I think it's going to be tough to dethrone as the best movie of the summer. But that's my review of Jurassic World. Definitely go check it out as soon as you can. And moving on to our guest this week, this is someone who I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a while now, but our schedules just haven't matched up, more so mine than his because my work is so crazy. But my guest this week is a friend of mine. He's a fellow podcaster, and he also does stuff on YouTube as well. His name is Jeremy Branch, and we met through a mutual friend who I went to college with, and Jeremy was interested in doing a podcast or something on YouTube and Josh told him about The Nerd Cave. So Jeremy reached out to me, and for those that listen to The Nerd Cave podcast, know that we had him on as a guest host a couple of months ago. And I wanted to have him on this show just to kind of have a one-on-one conversation about why he wanted to start a podcast, why did he want to start his YouTube channel, how long has he been interested in things like this, what did he grow up enjoying, did he have the same interests as me, you know, I, I knew he had a fascination with movies and with some comic books, but I didn't know to what extent, and that's why I wanted to have him on this show. And you'll get a lot of good insight from, you know, not just myself, but especially from Jeremy about really starting from scratch and putting out all types of great content on YouTube. He does a weekly podcast now called The Weekly Pop Podcast, and you should definitely check out his work. It's at Be Terrible Studios on YouTube. He puts out stuff all the time, whether it be top five lists, movie reviews. Uh, he does a fantastic interview series called Below the Surface, which which is similar to my show. And that's another reason why I wanted to have him on was to talk about the, the interview process and, you know, talking with guests and learning these things. And it, it's just, to me, a fun conversation between friends. And I really hope you enjoy it. So sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with Mr. Jeremy Branch. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience, here with my very special guest this week, a very good friend of mine and a fellow podcaster and YouTuber, I have Mr. Jeremy Branch. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hello. 
glad you uh, have me on to check it out, have a little conversation with you. I've been looking forward to being on the Derek Diamond Experience for quite some time. Absolutely, absolutely. I know we've we've been talking about this off and on for a while, but you know, with my crazy schedule, it's just now worked out. But hey, better late than never, right? Absolutely, yeah. And now you do indeed have a busy schedule. I'm sure we'll get to touch on <laughs> oh, that a oh, little yeah. bit. Oh yeah, we're we're recording this on a Thursday morning, and it's actually the first day off I've had in a long time. And you know, it's rainy outside, but. Hey, I didn't really have any outdoor activities planned, so... Through the yes. magic of podcasting, they'll never know how crappy it is outside. Oh, I know. And I'm surprised that you can't hear it. Like, through this... I'm recording this on a brand new uh, Zoom H4n, and it's the sound is perfect in here. And you, you're actually the first in-person guest I've had in, like, two months. Ooh, yeah, fancy. The, yeah, the other ones have all been over Skype, because, you know, with people living in, like, L.A. or wherever they live... Skype's the only way to do it, but, you know. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It changes the experience, makes it a little more intimate this way. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so you've been doing your own show where you've been doing interviews now called Below the Surface. Uh, what exactly is Below the Surface, and what, what gave you the idea to do it? So Below the Surface is pretty much exactly what the Derek Diamond experience is, in essence. Um, it's really geared more towards talking to creative type people uh, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily go out of our way to book uh high profile guests but what i'm interested in is just talking to other creative types whether they be uh authors musicians video content creators podcasters and just basically getting to know what their process is a little bit about them as people and then just kind of uh let the conversation progress naturally from there uh i started out doing them once a week and the kind of the main I guess, goal that I had in mind at the time was essentially to be able to network with other like-minded people. Because uh, as you well know, this, this whole entire uh, process, it involves as many people as you can get. You know, it's, it's a collaborative thing. It's a group effort. And unfortunately, as much as I would love to be able to operate my own cameras at the same time as being able to perform the interviews and all of that, it's a, it's a group process. And so I was hoping probably just through talking to, you know, different like-minded people in the area and a little bit further out that I could uh, meet other people who had similar aspirations and similar goals and just work from there. And uh, who have been some of the guests that you've had? So uh, I, I talked to you a little bit ago about uh, a lot of the different variety of guests that I've had, um, but... Let me say that I've had a ton of fantastic guests, too many good ones to name, but one that really stands out recently that I was proud of was the one that I did with Horst Sarubin and Drew Hall of Aether. Um, excuse me, I just mispronounced the word that I had to, had to clarify yesterday. It's Aether, and it's like a sci-fi steampunk-inspired uh, okay. proof of concept, which is essentially... A pilot for a movie uh they filmed like a 10 minute short film and it is the theme of this movie that they would like to get picked up by distributors so uh it was cool to be able to talk to them if you haven't had a chance to check out that uh short film it's actually really cool you can find a link to it on my youtube channel and ether.com uh etherprologue.com as well now that that actually sounds really cool and i mean with with film you know that's right up my alley so i'm i'm definitely going to check that out and like you said it's cool to have that variety of guests because, you know, like with, with this show, one week it could be someone in film, the next it could be someone in sports, an author, artist. And I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, but just hearing their story and how they got from, you know, wherever they were growing up to where they are now and the journey they took to me is just fascinating. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you can tell right now interviewing me, but I feel so much more comfortable as the person asking the questions. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I find that being a conduit for other people's story comes so much more naturally for me than necessarily uh, being on the other end of that. So I got to give it up to the people who do come on and do interviews because it can be, uh, you know, it kind of, not, I don't want to say nerve wracking, but it's like you're putting yourself out there in a right. way that maybe uh, you're, afraid that you might be received differently from, from the masses and things like that. No, I, I totally understand, because on one of my previous episodes, I was actually the guest. And it, it was, it's kind of weird, you know, just 
kind of you know talking about yourself and giving yourself credit because I I'm the worst at doing that. I'm my own worst critic, like without a shadow of a mm-hmm. doubt. So actually, you know, with getting asked questions like you know how did you become so successful at this and I'm like well I don't really know if I'm that successful at it I mean if you want to say that sure Sure. but you know go right ahead but but no with below the surface you also do uh other shows on YouTube as well how how did this whole thing start like what gave you the idea to start doing stuff like on YouTube doing podcasting and various things like that so it's kind of interesting um I would say probably three years ago, I really didn't know basically what a podcast was. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I have been a longtime fan of the entertainment industry. I, I've like religiously checked Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb after movies come out just to hear what other critics thought about it. And that's kind of a fascinating thing that kind of bleeds over into the interviews and things like that is that. What fascinates me and what I find really interesting is the way that people receive information. So it's almost like a social experiment in that way. Like I know that we've all seen these pop culture, uh, really major blockbusters and big releases and things like that. But to see how different people's scope can affect their viewing experience, how external factors can uh, affect their viewing experience. And all of that was something that I always found interesting. Um, So maybe about a year ago, I got really into watching the Schmoes No podcast. I got really into watching AMC Movie Talk. Uh, There's a really good one called Movie Fights that the Screen Junkies do. And those three YouTube channels just have a variety of different cool content on them. I started off on those the shows that I named and then realize that as a channel, they've got multiple playlists, right? And each mm-hmm. playlist is almost like a different show. Right. And I thought that that was fascinating. It's like, wow, I could have my own playlist, my own uh, network, for lack of a better word, of multiple different shows that I had complete creative control over. And all it would take is just clicking the publish button on YouTube. And that, to me, is like a really empowering thing. Um, I think that a lot of people would probably get the impression that I give my opinion a lot of clout or a lot of credibility, but to them, I would just respond like, why don't you, you know, like we all have a voice. Why not share our opinion with the world? Right. So I thought that that was kind of a good kickoff point. Um, I started kind of recording videos on my own and through talking to a friend named Josh, he had mentioned you guys and the nerd cave network. So I reached out to you and kind of got uh, literally my first podcast experience is when I came on and did that episode of the Nerd Cave Network. And I fell in love with the actual format of four people sitting around a table and just Mm -hmm. talking in a way that we don't get to do very much these days. So that's how it started. And it's really taken on a life of its own, you know, since then. So it's, it's really awesome, awesome experience. No, and, and you've been doing a fantastic job with putting out content, whether it be like the below the surface or, you know, movie reviews, gameplay or anything like that. To me, the variety is is what's key to doing stuff like that, because, I mean, we, we have the podcast, but, you know, now we have the YouTube channel that we, we've had it really since the beginning, but we never really did anything with it. We would put like highlights from the podcast or an occasional fantasy football draft. Zach did like a gameplay of Batman Arkham Origins, which he worked really hard on. But other than that, we didn't really do anything. And then when we started the network, which I don't think I've ever really explained how it really got started on air, but you know, we had the Nerd Cave, And then from there, we did the Fist of Monkey podcast Mm -hmm. and Time for Comics. And then I started my show. And then I said to Zach one day, I'm like, we have all these different shows that we do and we have a website. So why don't we just brand ourselves as a network? Right. Because it sounds, you know, it'll sound more professional. And it's like we're just one big organization. So that that's how it got started, and we, we originally I didn't want to call it Nerd Cave Network. I wanted it to have a little bit more of a broader spectrum. But since most of what we do deals with the nerd and pop culture type stuff, we were just like, let's just go with Nerd Cave Network. 
when it has become such a huge uh, platform and mm-hmm. it encompasses so many of the different elements of things that we all care about in our in our own personal lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So to to be a nerd is really uh, kind of where it's at these days as far as I'm nerd concerned. The world. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the YouTube channel, I mean, I've seen it go from humble beginnings, like you said, when it wasn't being maintained regularly to now y'all have a great presence. Your subscribers go up regularly. And I think that, uh, you know, the content that all you guys create is, is fantastic. So it's good to know that there are people out there that are doing similar things because when it comes down to time for somebody like me to schedule a podcast and I'm like, man, who do I know that I know I can bring on the podcast that is not only going to know the answers to the questions, they've been kind of checking the same resources and they're familiar with the stuff. You guys are a phone call away and that's fantastic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know, you know, we've done stuff with Below the Surface. Uh, Zach and Robbie have been on, you guys did a Star Wars discussion, which I hate that I missed, by the way, because I, I remember sitting there watching it, and either Zach or Robbie would start to talk, and I'd be like, God, I just want to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I should <laughs> be there to intervene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be like, hold on just a second. But but no, I mean, and it's great that, like, I don't really look at, you know, you or anyone else we may know as, you know, like a competition. I consider it one big Conglomerate, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we we have uh, another show called the Pop Culture Palette that's a part of our network. Who we and we met those guys through Pensacon, and you know they joined our network. And I, I never looked at them from the beginning as competition. I'm like, you know, they do their show is similar to ours, but it's different enough to where it's not exactly the same thing that you're hearing. And plus, it's guys that have actually worked in the entertainment industry. So sure. getting their opinion on that type of thing is really cool. And I have listened to their podcast as well, and it's fantastic. It, uh, it, it is. Both of their names are slipping me right now, but I know Jason Robbins is a member of it. And then mm-hmm. it's, uh, who's the other gentleman? There's uh, Steve Scott, the comic book artist. Okay. And then uh, Wally Phelps, who is a friend of theirs, who is a, uh, who's a really good stand-up comedian. Oh, great. Yeah, it's always good to have somebody funny on board. I say always because that's our team is lacking one of those. (laughs) I I like to think that me, Zach, and Robbie have a good, we have a good balance. Like Zach is the outlandish, crazy one. Robbie's more of like the the more subtle, funny guy. Like he'll he'll have like a more witty response, and then I'm just kind of there to to drive the train and make sure it doesn't go off the tracks. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the job of the moderator, I put Vicky to that task on our podcast. I've noticed, and and it, she does a good job with that. Sure. Sure. And it's, uh, it's funny that you said that all of our shows, they kind of are similar in a lot of, uh, superficial ways, but then I don't really think they step on the toes of each other because no, not at all. all of them kind of have different emphasis. Like you said, maybe, uh, maybe pop culture palette is from more of that, insider industry perspective people that have actually worked in it where you and uh zach and robbie have like a really good chemistry because y'all are friends and that's something that you can't fake i mean that's actually you can see the relationship or hear the relationship in the cast Mm -hmm. and then i feel like uh like my podcast like i'm the guy who tries to take really simple and not important topics and then give this huge weight to them (laughs) (laughs) but no you do a good job of it though appreciate it so you said you you had this fascination with the entertainment industry. Does that go back to you being a kid? Like, have you always been fascinated with it? Almost always. Uh, as a as a eight, seven or eight year old, I remember going to Disney World and deciding that being a cell animator was what I wanted to do. Uh, really, I have a probably an unhealthy obsession with Disney for a thirty year old man. But yeah, it's it's something that I've loved forever. Disney's for everybody. It I, really I tell is. people that you are never too old for Disney. It's fantastic. It's something that I've, I've always felt a personal connection to. I'll go see the latest Disney movies, you know, uh, Victoria, John and I did a review of Cinderella and I absolutely loved that movie. So I still um, haven't seen it yet. It's good. It's, it's really well done. And the fact that it wasn't a musical was actually kind of refreshing for once, Mm -hmm. but I, not that I don't love the musical numbers, but yeah, I remember as being seven or eight years old and deciding that I wanted to be an animator, uh, when I was about 12 or 13, I decided to turn my parents' house into a haunted house for Halloween. So we actually decked out each of the different rooms and different themed motifs. And I had all the neighborhood kids come over and act out their parts. Uh, 
we would do short fan films of like Mortal Kombat fights where I would be either Scorpion or Sub-Zero. <clears throat> Excuse me. My friend Shane would be Reptile or Smoke and we would sit there and practice like dance moves for <laughs> hours on end perfecting these these fight scenes and then we would film those out and i'd go into photoshop afterwards and kind of doctor up the images and stuff like that so yeah i've always been really into it for sure that's awesome that that reminds me when i was probably seven or eight i had the this pair of just plain white tennis shoes they had no laces you just you know you slip them on your feet and i was a huge video game nerd as a kid loved mario loved sonic so I look at the shoes and then I notice that I have a red crayon and I've never told this story on any of the podcasts. I actually colored the shoes like Sonic shoes and I left a little white strip on the yes. top and my mom was not very happy with me <laughs> when I did that. But I mean, that's, that it's, you know, just the obsession that I had. And I even dressed up as Sonic one year for, uh, for Halloween. Oh man, I'd love to see that pic. It might be on my Facebook somewhere. So, uh, kind of on that same, touching on that same topic, as a kid, I was probably Dracula for about six Halloweens consecutively in a row, and we actually lost Christopher Lee. Yep, I was going to just now bring that up. Yeah, he, it was announced, you know, on the day we're recording this, it was actually announced today that he passed away at the age of 93. Mm-hmm. True, true film legend. It's funny to me when you can be in franchises like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and Star Wars, and those are almost footnotes Mm -hmm. in your career. I mean, he defined Dracula to a whole generation of people who were fans of uh, the British Hammer horror films in the 60s and 70s. Um, He was a Dracula that was a lot more brutal and a lot lot less of the suave, debonair uh, Mm -hmm. interpretation that we got with Bela Lugosi. And I think that was kind of... uh, a rebranding of Dracula that was more for the modern film going audience. So that's, he's somebody that's really been a huge influence. He's got one of those voices like Vincent Price or James Earl Jones that when you hear it, you're like, Oh, that's Christopher Lee. You know exactly who it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, and I was actually shocked to hear that. And what's crazy is he actually passed away over the weekend, but it was just now released because his wife wanted the family to know first. Interesting. Before she let the media know that he had passed away. I think it was on Sunday when he actually passed away in London. No doubt. Yeah, I did see that on the death certificate. And I was either, I didn't realize why I was late to the party kind of thing. But if which, that's interesting. It's amazing that they were able to keep it under wraps for that long. And I did post an article about it on my blog, uh, and I, just to make my intentions and my myself clear, that was as a fan, and it's not clickbait, you know? Like yeah, I do yeah, want, yeah. Because I know that a lot of times when a celebrity dies, you know that you're going to get a bit of traffic, but I wouldn't write up that kind of memorial for just any person that passed away. To me, he was a huge, huge icon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's, it's crazy, back to the whole not knowing till now thing, when I read that, I was I was thinking, have I just been that out of the loop? Sure. Because it was literally the first thing I read when I woke up this morning. But And to keep it from the public until now in today's age of information was just mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. So besides uh, video games and Disney, what, what are some of your other interests that you had as a kid? Like, were you a comic book geek or? I was indeed. Uh, actually, I, I read and did a book report on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in my third grade Miss Adams class. Uh, so I've been a fan of gothic literature for a very, very long time. I read the majority of Anne Rice's books, all of the Vampire Chronicles, uh, I got into the macabre and horror movies at a very, very young age. Uh, Tells from the Crypt is something that I absolutely am a huge fanboy of, even though I've gone back and watched them kind of recently, and they kind of stink. <laughs> They're like a, pro- a, a, a product of the times, if you will, you know? Didn't they didn't age, age well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I loved horror growing up. I was a really big fan of that. Uh, vampires were a big thing. When the movie The Crow came out... Uh, oh, I love that movie. As a teenager, that was almost my first experience into the comic book film adaptation world. I personally wasn't a big fan of the uh, 
and this is blasphemous, but wasn't a huge fan of the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. Uh, they just weren't in my house in that way. It wasn't right. a slight against them. Uh, we but were, you didn't grow up with it. Exactly. And we were watching Gremlins and we were watching Ghostbusters and a ton of the other stuff from the 80s, but I just didn't have it in my house that way. Uh, so I guess it was like 1992 or 1993 and two of my best friend's mom had started dating this guy. So he had kids of his own and now he had these new potential stepsons to kind of take care of and show him a good time, show the mom that he could be an awesome stepdad and all of this. And he was a huge geek. His whole house was covered with like little barbarian warrior nude women figurines like slaying dragons and he had every comic book you could think of he had models of uh the terminators and venom that's awesome and he would drag us out to tbs in fort walton every saturday where we learned to get our own boxes and to buy two of each comic book so that we could keep one and read the other and i got huge into image comic books again Mm kind of taking my love of horror into the world of comic books and uh spawn was oh, nice. one of the biggest ones I collect. I've got like one through 30-something at the house. So uh, I liked all the kind of gritty, I hate that word, but all of the edgier R-rated properties that were coming out then. But on the flip side of that, I loved Marvel, and I really loved the X-Men. And that's why it's a kind of sad day for comic books when Marvel's kind of trying to push out my favorite team in their universe. You know, I've always been a big fan of the X-Men uh I collected pretty much anything with X in the title, right? Because it was the 90s, and that's everything was branded Extreme. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it was Extreme Mountain Dew, I had X-Force comic books, X-Men. Uh, what were some of the other ones? I do remember seeing the X a lot uh-huh. in the 90s. Everything had to be with an X. Like you said, <laughs> Extreme, Extra, you uh-huh. know, wh- whatever it was, it had to be an X. For sure. So that was, yeah. And since then, to tell you the truth, man, I used to indiscriminately watch movies and love them all. And that's how I know that I've always been a huge lover of movies. Uh, I've seen so many movies, but it wasn't until maybe Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez came into the scene in the 1990s that I started feeling like I had some deeper understanding of what filmmaking was because those guys would kind of let you peer behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. They would have cool documentaries and uh, special features stuff and let you see that, especially Kevin Smith, man, Clerks was made on a micro budget and just showed like, hey, if you're a dude and you like movies, you can make movies. And that was awesome. And that's kind of what changed my whole perspective about what it meant and how the real world could meet that fantasy world, you know? To me, the the story of how Clerks got made is just as fascinating as the movie oh, itself sure. because he's told that story so many times with all the Q&A sessions that I've seen of him and you know, seeing him in person especially. But it, it like you said, it shows that if you really put your mind to it, you can do it. And... You know, he, as someone who wants to work in film, he's probably my biggest inspiration because he's like us. He's like the everyday guy Mm -hmm. that that made it. Because when when you think of someone like Steven Spielberg or George Lucas, yeah, you can respect their work and they're both great. But they seem like, you know, that top-notch elite, like top of the mountain. You'll never get knocked off. You'll never make it to top of the mountain. But... But Kevin Smith, he's the one you look at for true inspiration and and other guys like him. I agree 100%. And I think that's something that I've carried with me all the way up until the YouTube channel is that uh, it's humble beginnings. You know, Uh, I hate to say fake it till you make it because it takes a lot of work to even fake it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, of... trial and error. There's a lot of frustrations that come up along the way. There's a lot of uh, managing your expectations because, you know, what you have in your mind as a vision may not be something tangible that you can actually achieve. And so there's compromises made, but every single step of the way gets you that much closer to the ultimate goal, which is to just be a filmmaker. Um, I think I should probably clarify now that we are talking about all this stuff that The camera stuff, for me, it really comes more out of necessity 
and you and I have talked personally about it, but for the listeners who may not know, I, I love the idea of producing content. I love the idea of writing content. I love the idea of kind of working the stuff and molding it behind the scenes, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable on the other side of it. And it's almost like until I can find those perfect personalities that really bring it out of the, the stuff the best, it's like I'm just in there kind of holding the space until the rest of the stuff falls in line. So as much as I do love talking, as much as I do love that side of it, the camera is a whole different beast for me. So you're more comfortable doing the the audio as opposed to being on camera and talking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm the same way because, you know, I, I love what we're doing with the YouTube and everything. But when it comes to truly feeling comfortable, I, I still prefer doing the podcast. And I don't know if Josh has ever told you the story. Josh is our mutual friend and how we actually met because we, we went to college together. We took TV production classes together for our last production class we got to take over an episode of what was then called PJC Today, now Pensacola State Today. Sure. And we were highlighting the the art department, which was where, you know, the when I started doing production classes, they were held at the WSRE studios. And then after year two of my my tenure there, it was moved from there to the the art building where all the photography classes, drawing classes, pottery, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, for our last class, our one project was we took over PJC Today, and we were coming up with different jobs. And I was known as the shy, awkward guy. You know, I loved running camera. I loved doing sound. But at, at that time, not so much the on-camera stuff. And there needed to be two hosts, a host and a co-host. Well, you know, one of the girls was instantly like, I want to be the host because she actually wanted to be like a news anchor at the time. Yeah. And our instructor asked, you know, well, who wants to be the other? And literally everyone slowly turns around and points directly at me. So I had to be the co-host. Time to saddle up, huh? <laughs> yep. So <laughs> you you should you should ask him about that story. I'm I'm sure he remembers it. How did it go? I it I was I was super super nervous, but it, it ended up being okay. I mean I I'm better at it now than I was then, but like you, I still prefer being behind the scenes and you know actually shooting and editing it's it's like a drug really production is like a drug once you have that first hit of it you've you're always looking for your next fix yeah that's why even when i that's why even when i'm not working with the wahoos i still do uh, wsre shoots i'll do uh the uh high school football broadcast that channel three is doing now every every friday during the fall uh, freelance gig so it's it's like when when I started my journey into production I told myself that I wasn't going to settle for anything less than what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and that's and that's what I've that's what I've been doing ever since absolutely and it is uh it's again for me can be at times you're uh at times de- doubt creeps in and things like that but just the fact of the matter that like probability itself is on your side if you don't give up eventually all of it is going to pay off and that's for that's for both of our podcasts that's for listeners who may have a dream that they may or may not be pursuing right now but i think that what weeds out so many people is just an inability to commit to it because once you make that commitment to yourself you're you're set to succeed i think mm-hmm. would you think would you say that was true or do you think that some people that may not have the talent would still commit to it on that level. Well, commitment is very important. And I, I think yeah, you have to have commitment, but you also have to have the passion to do it because you can commit to doing something and then you try it and you end up absolutely hating it. And this that's true. And that's where the passion for it comes in because production stuff is not easy and it's not for everybody. It's a lot of long hours a lot of hard work, a lot of frustration, but I think what separates, you know, people that are 
currently doing it as opposed to people who, you know, are just saying that they would love to do it. Because I, cause I know a lot of people that have done production and they hated it and sure. they went on to something else. So I think commitment is important, but you also have to have the love to do it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I was one that's, yeah, I, uh, I remember there was a time when I wanted to do it and maybe I would tell other people that I was committed to do it, but it wasn't the commitment that I had made to myself. And I feel like that's something, you know, like, and what you said about it being similar to a drug, it's like, I have to feed that thing on on the regular now, Mm -hmm. or I feel like I'm kind of letting myself down. And that, I think, is true motivation, you know, or maybe it's compulsion. I've talked about that a little bit. I'm not sure, but it, it seems to get it done. And uh, I've started to realize that there's, like, good, bad, and ugly elements to the whole podcasting and interviewing oh, yeah. thing and all of that uh, kind of funny antidote that I have that I haven't shared with anybody yet that I think we should touch on is um, I went out to record bands on the beach the other night with a gentleman named John Starrett. He's a great videographer, uh, John Monfish Images, for those of you who want to go check him out. He's a dive photographer. Great guy. Um and I went out with the goal of making parody videos. I wanted to go out and interview people on the beach with the goal in mind of making a funny video. Uh, I'm not here to laugh at anybody's expense. I wasn't trying to be mean or hurtful or anything like that. I went out and uh, it was a pretty mellow crowd. Everybody was set up in beach chairs and lawn chairs. It was an older white retired community and then some kind of harder party and young people there. And uh I kind of made a joke of the way that the the atmosphere of the of the show was. I played it up like, oh, it's about to be a rock concert, and then kind of edited together a bunch of footage of people just being mellow and hanging out. So anyways, uh, I posted it on online, I posted it on YouTube, and I got contacted this morning by one of the stars of the video, and they were not happy with the way that they were portrayed in said video, and they asked me nicely essentially if i would take them out of the video Mm -hmm. legally uh the i mean the law is on my side as far as you can't have uh the assumption of privacy at a public event i had his consent to record him at the time uh he did a you know a candid on on camera interview he was pretty wasted and when he saw it afterwards, he was not happy with the way that he was portrayed. I didn't feed him any lines or anything, but I can see where he's coming from. So I had this ethical dilemma, and I don't have the answer for it, but if you were in my situation, would you take the guy out of the video? Yes, I would. Because, yeah, the guy gave consent, but he was also inebriated yes yeah so it could have just been one of those things where he was just super drunk and he was like oh yeah i'll do it and then when he sobers up and real and sees it because i i've had i've had the same thing where i've actually done freelance i've done freelance videos and i've had i've had people request to be removed and i've also had requests for people to be added so i i i always try to honor you know, that person, if they ask me to do those types of things, sure. you know, if, if it is possible. But it, so it, it, you said the guy asked you nicely. He did. Okay. If that's the case, then then I would go back and I would remove him from it. And I even tried to kind of coerce him after the fact of me being the uh, ever resourceful. And I was like, in a way, you're kind of the star of the video, man. I mean, you're yeah. the best part of it. Yeah, There's no true. doubt about it. Uh, he was he was hilarious. But uh, I guess the flip side of that perspective is what if a, per, a potential client or employer right. looks it That's up another and thing sees too. him, but I didn't tag him in the video. I tried to find some software where I could blur out his face on the video and think that that was a compromise. But it's kind of an interesting thing because I know that I don't set out to hurt people's feelings. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the very beginning of it, and I love those parody uh, videos like live witness news, Jimmy Kimmel. Have you ever seen that mm-hmm. before? That was kind of my inspiration. Go out and ask them fake band names. I totally poke fun of myself on the video too. I would be like, "Have you heard of Be Terrible Studios?" No. Well, that doesn't surprise me. You know what I mean? So there yeah. were lots of ways that I tried to make it silly for everybody. But with that being said, I went ahead and moved it to private 
you know, in the in the time being while I thought about it. Right. So I I just got to try to figure out how to navigate this in the future. Well, and, and you're right that the law is kind of on your side because you were shooting at a public event. Mm-hmm. You're on public property. But I would say just because the guy did go about it in a mature adult manner that that would be why I would mm-hmm. would re- re- would remove it so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it is it's a tough thing it's like uh at some point your own eth- ethicality comes into it and it has nothing to do with the the litigation side of it but it's just like man I would hate for this person to be bullied or to mm-hmm. get a bad rap for it yeah hopefully people will understand at some point that it's so much more healthy to be able to laugh at ourselves and just be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I totally you agree. Like an idiot. I know I've been there plenty of times. And I also was just like, just look up in the sky. You can be sure that there's one of those drones flying around the event <laughs> right now, videotaping all of us, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you also have to think it, uh, you have to think about it from the other person's perspective, too. I mean, maybe he doesn't want anybody to see that because mm-hmm. I, I, I know some people who are really paranoid about that. Sure. So. Sure. So yeah, you, you've got to, you got to be careful with, with stuff like that. But I, I did watch some of that video and I, I thought it was really funny. I didn't see that guy, but you know, I, I like, I like the idea of it. I thought it, it was cool. It was fun. And I would like to go and start hit more, hitting more regular events. But I do think that my buddy John had the right idea when he said that I easily need a lanyard. Yeah. Because otherwise people are like, who is this guy just walking around? But the second you have something hanging around your neck, all of a sudden you've got all the credentials you need. Mm -hmm. It could just literally say anything on the lanyard itself. But the fact that you've got a badge around your neck, people will let you through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I I totally agree. Um, A couple more things I wanted to ask you uh, before we wrap this thing up. We both love the, the nerd and pop culture world. Uh, what'd you think of the, the recent Punisher casting? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I have conflicted emotions about it in general. Um, I don't think I'm in the, the majority when I say that the Punisher is one of my favorite Marvel characters because he has a very morally complicated line. He's a vigilante in a world of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is a lot of what makes him an intriguing character. Uh, so I was, when I heard Tom Hardy might potentially play the Punisher, I was thinking about, wow, they're thinking of getting A-list mainstream actors, somebody really, really big to maybe portray this Marvel character in a movie upcoming. And then when I found out it was Shane, uh, John Bernthal, uh, Shane from The Walking Dead season one and two, who was also in Fury and did a magnificent job, uh, I found out that he was being casted as the Punisher, and honestly, my first thoughts were, why would they sideline this really iconic and influential character to be a bit player in a Daredevil movie, to which you responded and really opened up my mind to the whole thing. What did you say? I said that there have been a few a few different Punisher movies, but none of them have really been successful. Even though I like the one with Thomas Jane that came out in the early 2000s. So I think this is Marvel's way of gauging interest in seeing the Punisher on screen again. So instead of just doing another reboot, why not cast him as a... You know, I think he'll be a somewhat regular character. I mean, he's obviously going to be a big deal in season two of Daredevil. But I think if this goes well, then they could do another movie with John Berthal. Or what I think they should do is just make another Netflix series starring The Punisher. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a good idea by them because they're being they're covering their own ass basically with this. Is that you know they don't want to risk another box office flop. So why not put him in this series? And if his performance goes over well, then they'll obviously do something more with him. He's a great actor. He has a pretty unmatched intensity. His scene in Fury when they came into that dinner and interrupted the party was was fantastic. Uh, Shia LaBeouf also did a great performance in that. But if what you said is what happens, I buy the shit out of that story. Like, I'm all for it because I do think that... I just... My concern wasn't so much the casting 
as just the way that they treat the character. And if right. it is a platform for something bigger, then I'm all for that. And the same thing happened with The Flash. Grant Gustin, or you know, who played Barry Allen, was in uh, Arrow, and they showed his origin, and that spun off the Flash show. Oh, okay. Which to me, this season was much better than Arrow. I, I loved the Flash. I've heard it, nothing but good things about that season finale and the whole series as a whole. Yes, the the whole. I mean, it, it had a couple of down episodes, but every show does. Sure. But overall, it was really, really good, and it actually felt. It felt very comic book-like, but in a good way. Sure. It wasn't cheesy or over-the-top or anything. It was actually really, really good. I enjoyed what I saw of it. I actually did watch all of Daredevil Season 1, but with The Flash, with with a lot of television shows, it's just a tough commitment to bring in the extra one. I'm so immersed in the world of movies, you know? That's my big, big right. geek-out thing, you know? No, totally. And something I, I'm sure you you know about this, but something that actually disappointed me and I haven't got to talk about it yet was uh, Constantine was officially canceled. And that kind of disappointed me because the show started a little rough, but I thought that it got much better as the series progressed. But to me, the show itself was doomed to fail from the start because they put it on Friday nights at like nine o'clock when no one's home. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Bad timing, uh, great casting, mm-hmm. not necessarily strong writing from episode to episode, but man, was uh, Matt... Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was a was sure a likable uh, Constantine. I thought he nailed the performance, oh, yeah. and he carried it in the best that he could. Yeah. So it is a shame, but like you said about it being doomed to fail, the fact that it officially just got canceled shit it might as well have been canceled a year ago as far as i'm concerned because i never thought it had a chance of succeeding you know unfortunately yeah and it's a shame because when i when i heard about it i was like i really want this to be good right but are they they should have they should have at least put it on hulu or netflix i mean that could have been dc's answer to daredevil sure not maybe not necessarily as good but I don't, and I don't know what you think about this, but to me, what DC is doing with the movies, I, I don't agree with at all. It's like they're trying to fast track to catch up to Marvel, like with them, with the Batman versus Superman, and that's going to lead into Justice League, and then they do all the separate movies. I, I, I'm just, I think Marvel found the perfect formula. Mm-hmm. And DC is just trying to to catch up with them, and I think it's ultimately gonna they're gonna fall flat on their face. To deconstruct it in a, a way, what my biggest fear for Warner Brothers is, because you know these are financial juggernauts. I mean, these are freaking billion dollar ticket. I mean, not quite, but you know, they're six hundred and fifty million dollar movies. Is what happens if they? we just decide we don't like Jason Momoa as Aquaman? What if we just decide we don't like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman in this first movie? And then how are they supposed to get us back in the theaters again to see the solo movies? And that's why the other way around is because, hey, even if the solo Wonder Woman movie stinks, maybe it'll be okay in the context of a bigger shared uh, Mm -hmm. Justice League movie. So that's what I think the fundamental flaw in the plan is, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's just because I've always been more of a Marvel fan than DC, and I, and I want the DC movies to succeed, because, you know, I do like Batman, I like Superman, I don't really know that much about any of the other characters sure. besides Flash and Green Arrow, and sure. that's because of the show, but another problem I have is that they didn't cast Stephen Emile and... Uh, Grant Gustin as Arrow and Flash for the movies. hundred percent. And they've agreed. they've already built that universe. Why not? Why not use it? Because fans of the shows will go see them. Well, and that's what I was going to say. It's not like with the case with the first couple Punisher movies. It's not like they made a mistake when they casted Stephen Amell as Arrow. People freaking love that guy. It's not mm-hmm. like they made a mistake when they casted the guy who plays uh, Barry Allen. People have responded very well to both of those characters, and it seems like a disservice to them. But so this is what I've heard, real sweaty nerd conversation here. 
it's potential that maybe we're looking at a multiverse situation where Barry Allen could potentially bridge the universes even with alternate versions of the characters. Have you heard anything about that? I, I've heard that rumor is being a possibility, and that's how they could work in Stephen Emil and Grant Gustin is like alternate versions of... It's reaching, though, right? Yeah. It, it, it is a little bit, and I, I just... My problem with that is I feel like it'll get way too complicated. Yeah. And people will hate it because it reminds me of the whole Back to the Future Part 2 thing. Uh-huh. Back to the Future 1 was very simple. It takes place in the 80s. Guy goes back to the 50s and then goes back to the 80s. Well, in Part 2, you go from the 80s to the 2000s, back to the 80s, an alternate version of it. And then you go back to the 50s, back to the 80s, and then back to the 1800s. So it, it gets it gets too complicated. Yeah. So I, I feel like if they do the multiverse thing, that it could get too complicated. I'm worried about the Flash show and that they've introduced time travel and the different timelines, that that'll get too complicated. Sure. But I, I have faith in the writing team to come up with something that you know everybody can understand. Sure. So, last thing I wanted to ask you, and then you know we'll get to your your plugs. Oh, you sweet. definitely got to plug your show. I don't know how big of a wrestling fan you are, or were, when you were younger. But there's a rumor, and I addressed this on the Nerd Cave, and I hope this happens that Stephen Emil might wrestle in the WWE as the Arrow character against Stardust, who is the brother of Goldust. Because they, he was at Raw a few weeks ago, and they had a little confrontation, and since then they've been feuding on Twitter. And the best, the best quote I've heard from this whole thing is Stardust said on his Twitter, he said, I don't want to fight Stephen Emil. I want to fight someone else. I want to fight something else. Just like the start of the Arrow show. What 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 do you think of that? Like, do you think it could? You think it would be too cheesy? Do you think it would be cool or or what? So first of all, let's address my my wrestling nerd nerddom. <laughs> when it was uh, WCW versus NWO, and then when they all joined WrestleMania, I think it was between like. 95 and 99 maybe Mm -hmm. 95 and 2000 when i was really into wrestling i think it became a a really big national pastime Mm -hmm. at the time um so i'm real familiar with the wolf pack and all of that stuff i'm a big old school wrestling fan i absolutely loved the wrestling games and i've talked Mm -hmm. to so many people over the years that were like if they could have taken the customization out of any of the wrestling games and applied that to rpg it would be the most winning game in the oh, world. Absolutely. Like, why can't we just customize our characters that way? Absolutely. So anyways, uh, with a little bit on the question that you asked about Stephen Emil as wrestling, Stephen Emil is one of these guys to me that has a fantastic social media presence. He's like a guru on Twitter. I've seen him earn himself spots on talk shows through Twitter. He probably got the Casey Jones casting through Twitter. The dude is on point when it comes to his his viral marketing, his social media stuff. So I think that, uh, man, with the wrestling thing, I don't know that it would help him out any, but I think it would give wrestling fans something to be excited about. I think if I'm the WWE and he wants to do it, I would jump on it Absolutely. without a doubt because he's the star of a popular current relevant show and he's actually a fan of mm-hmm. he's all he always has been they he posted this really cool picture i believe it was from the wizard world philly comic-con of him with sting nice and i geeked out so much Hell yeah Sting's over that one of my favorites oh yeah and it, i was going to mention that when you mentioned the crow because that was the inspiration for his sure transformation sure and when I saw that, I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of cool if he did something with wrestling. But I think so. I I, th- I think it would get a ton of press, and I know he would train to do it because he, like I said, he's a fan. Uh huh. He's kind of a beast as it is, man. I've seen a little bit of his workout routine, mm-hmm. and he might be able to run circles around some of those guys. Maybe so. But e- either way, I I hope he does it. Sure. I think it would be really cool. Definitely, I agree. But uh, last thing. Where can people find you on YouTube and social media? 
So at the time that we are recording this interview, you can find me at Be Terrible Studio on YouTube. That is kind of our main hub. That's where we generate a lot of our web content. Uh, also head over to Be Terrible Productions on WordPress to get a look at our blog, which is something that I update pretty regularly. Uh, it's got some videos on there as well. Hopefully I'll be buying a domain name soon, so it'll be BeTerribleProductions.com. Um, also check me out on Twitter at JeremyGTheTerrible. Perfect. Thank you for coming by. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And hopefully, hopefully, a little separate plug, I'll be having you join the podcast here real soon. Oh, I'd love to. Fantastic. Just just name the date and time, and I will make sure to be there. It's on. It's on. Thank you once again to Jeremy Branch for that fun and informative conversation. Don't forget to check out all of his great content on YouTube at Be Terrible Studios. And don't forget to check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at NerdCave Network. You can also find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash nerdcavenetwork and the website nerdcavenetwork.com. We've got E3 going on this week, so we're going to be doing a ton of coverage on that. And don't forget, you can also check out our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or you can stream them at the website nerdcavenetwork.com. Every Monday, we have the Derek Diamond Experience. Tuesday is the Nerd Cave Podcast. And every Saturday night is the Pop Culture Palette. And that's all I've got for this week. So until next time, this has been another fantastic episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.